Well, thanks, Andrew. Uh, it's good to see you. Thank you for being with us. Whether you're worshiping here in the room, you're watching online, uh, maybe you're listening to us as you run. I don't know why you would do that, but if you're catching up that way, uh, thanks for listening in as well. My name's Corey, if we haven't met, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at GFC. And uh, it's good to be back. I know I freaked some people out because I wasn't here last week and some people worried I was sick or something like that. Here's where I was last week. Um, I got to go to New Jersey for the week, and uh, I have a friend there. His name is Andy. He's one of my best friends, and he's been the youth pastor at the same church for 14 years. Now, let me just tell you, in church world, 14 years as a youth pastor is, is like five lifetimes, okay? That's forever. The average youth pastor is like two years and gone. And so he was there for 14 years, and his lead guy retired, and they handed the baton to him. Um, and so that was, his first Sunday was the first Sunday in uh, July, but I couldn't miss that week, so I went last week and surprised him. So thank you for, uh, to Andrew and Dan and the crew for holding down the fort, but it was good just to go and worship in a different way. They're right outside of New York City. So the way they do worship's a little bit different, and it was good to connect with him and uh, just get to see him, but it's, it's good to be back. And we're going to dive into week 10 of our soundtrack series. And so when we talk about this, and if you're just connecting with us, or you haven't been around, or you haven't been around a while, I'll kind of remind you, what are we talking about when we talk about this idea of soundtracks? And so this is kind of the tagline we've gone with, is this soundtrack plays a huge role in how we understand the story. And so we play off that idea that movies, TV shows, there's always a soundtrack, there's always something going on. What does that do for us? That helps us understand what we're supposed to feel or how we process what we're seeing on the screen. So depending on the music, you're going to feel sad, you're going to feel happy, you're going to feel suspense, whatever that is, that soundtrack is playing a huge role. And the same thing is true when we think about the things that we process as truth in our hearts and minds over and over and over again. So what we tell ourselves is true is going to impact how we understand the way life unfolds in front of us. It's going to impact the way we make decisions. It's going to impact the way we form habits, all of that kind of stuff. And we get this from Jesus in Luke chapter 6. Jesus says, what you treasure is going to produce the fruit in your life or produce the type of person that you're going to be. And when he uses that word treasure, he's talking about, he uses the same word where we get the word thesaurus. So it's the words, it's the truth, it's the things we tell ourselves over and over and over again. And so when he talks about the idea of fruit, we draw then a parallel line to Galatians chapter 5, where Paul says this in Galatians 5 verses 22 through 23. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith gentleness and self-control and there is no law against these things and so as you can see as has been our process the highlight word there self-control is where we're going to go now here's what i want to warn you about and kind of help you process what's going to come next you might be looking at this at this and if you're processing well you're going oh this is the last week because this is the last fruit of the spirit wrong not the last week so we're going to go two more weeks next week uh Carl Edwards is going to be with us and speaking to us. If you don't know Carl, he is the director of development at CrossNet and a good friend of ours. And so we've invited him. I'm going to be at Momentum as well, helping on staff this week. And so uh, I'll be back for Sunday, but he's going to be able to come and give us kind of a bonus episode. Okay, I asked him to come give us a bonus time. And then the, the two weeks from now, I'll be back and we'll kind of put a bow on this conversation. And then when we get to August, we'll start a new one. And so we've got two more weeks in soundtracks we're going to process. But the conversation we're going to have today is about self-control. And as it has been our process the whole time we've, we've gone through this, I give us a lie because if, we have, if Jesus is talking about the truth that we're supposed to believe, we start with a lie that maybe gets in the way and blocks us from having this fruit of the Spirit. And then I'll give us a truth near the end where we can kind of reevaluate and see how do I plug this into my life. And so here's the lie I think maybe gets in the way when we think about the idea of self-control. 
Here's the lie. If it comes naturally to me, it must be beneficial to me. If it comes naturally to me, it must be beneficial to me. Or if it comes naturally to me, at least it's not going to go away, so I might as well lean into it. Now, you can see this in a lot of different ways. Okay, we can process this in a lot of different patterns. But many of us, all of us know the things that just kind of come naturally to us. We gravitate to, to, we enjoy, right? And in some sense, when that happens, it makes sense for us to lean into the things we enjoy and we're passionate about if we want to build a career around it, or we want to start a business, or we want to dive into a hobby. When we can leverage those things that God has blessed us with, that's a positive thing. But on the other side, sometimes we'll look at these things and go, this is just the way I am, so everybody else just has to deal with it. I've seen sometimes this happen with people that have anger issues. And they'll say something like, I have this anger problem, but as long as you don't press that button, we don't have a problem. Right? So what are they really saying in that instance? As long as you don't screw it up, I'll be fine. Right? As long as you don't step on the toes, as long as you don't push the button, we'll be okay. We can also look at this idea when it comes to identity, sexuality, whatever that might be. We, we choose things and we would say, well, if this comes naturally to me, then it must be something that's beneficial. It must be something that I should lean into or I should process. And what we need to understand, and we've, we say this uh, uh, again and again in church sometimes, is that we are sinful people who have sim- sinful tendencies. And sometimes when pastors say that or churches say that, sometimes people think, especially if they're outside the church, that that's a manipulation piece. To say, the church is just trying to control me, they're telling me I have a problem so that I do what they say, and that keeps me kind of under their thumb. But here's the thing I want us to get, right? You don't have to teach toddlers how to sin, okay? I have a two-year-old. We didn't need to teach him anything about how to hit his sister when he was mad, right? He just, you, he, she did something. This was actually kind of really funny. The other day, he got mad at her for something, and she was standing next to a pole. And he just kind of swung like this and punched the pole. And he wasn't quite crying, but I literally looked at him and went, that's what you get, right? You're going to punch your sister. You're going to hit a pole, right? That's just what's going to happen. We didn't tell him, hey, when you're mad at your sister, punch her, right? I guarantee Becca and I didn't. We say some crazy things, but we've never said that, right? He knew that. It is natural for us to respond in ways that are not right. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, if you have a two-year-old that goes and punches another sibling, you're probably going to look at them and say, you shouldn't do that or you deserved to to hit the pole because you didn't do what was right. We don't have to understand this at a macro level to get, like, we are sinful people who will choose sinful things. And so when we think about this and we look at, okay, well, if it's natural to me, it must be beneficial. We have to check that and say, is this actually the truth or is this something that's coming out of a place that I don't want to pursue? Now, here's the other thing I think we can do as adults when this conversation of self-control comes up. I want to put a picture up here. It's just going to be kind of silly, okay? Well, Megan's going to put it up for us. Go ahead and put the trick rabbit up there. Does anyone still eat this cereal? Is this still around? Okay, I didn't even know. I just thought that. But here's why I think of this, because I think... Silly rabbit tricks are for what? Kids. I think sometimes we look at this and we go, silly Bible self-control is for kids. Like, I was supposed to learn that when I was two so I don't punch a pole. But now that I'm adult, an adult, I can do what I want. Now, I get it. There are certain things like you have to make sure you can hold down a job. or You have to make sure you don't get fired. You have to make sure you show up on time. You have to make sure you keep the relationship. Like, yes, there are times when I need to make sure that I show up and do the things I'm supposed to do. But when it boils down to what I want to do and what you want to do, I'm going to do what I want to do because it's my life and I'm an adult, right? I earn this. I now have the freedom 
to do what I want. But here's what I also know is that we've all made mistakes with our freedom sometimes. And so we look at this and we go, oh, that's a kid thing, self-control. That's something that they're supposed to learn. Now I'm an adult. I don't have to worry about that as much. And here's where I want to go today, okay? So, like, stay with me for a minute. This idea of self-control when it comes to the Bible and it comes to what Paul is talking about is not simply a, here's a list of what to do, here's a list of what not to do. And as long as you stay on on the right side of that aisle on certain situations, you're going to be okay. It's much deeper than that. And so we're going to process that today and see what Paul's actually talking about and what he believes he means when he's talking about this idea of self-control, okay? So here's where we're going to go to start. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So as always, you can follow along on the screens with the verses. You can also scan the QR code on the back of the Next Steps card. That will take you to our follow-along page on our website, which will give you all the verses, all the notes. You can ask questions. You can submit prayer requests. It's the best place to go. If you've never gone, just go there. Just go scan that card. Just be like, what is this? I've never gone. Just go check it out and just follow along with me today. It's super easy. And if you're watching live online, you can do the same as well. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 12. This is what Paul says. He says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Now, there's something weird in this verse, if you're looking at it, that should show up. And and immediately when you read it, at least when I read it, I go, why is he quoting? Or who is he quoting? And really, when you do a little bit of research, what you find is this is just what the people in Corinth were saying. Now, important as we have this conversation, he was speaking to believers in the city of Corinth, okay? This wasn't just like they just posted it for anybody. This wasn't just in a newspaper for everybody to read. This was going to Christians in Corinth. And what Christians in Corinth were saying was, I am allowed to do anything. Now, at some level, we hear that and we go, not true, but in their sense, it felt that way. Because some of these people were Jews that were becoming Christian. And so they were making this transition from, I had all of these rules, these 600 rules I had to follow. Now I'm just supposed to love God with everything I've got and love people. When you go from, I have a list of 600 things I have to follow basically every day to love God, love people, it feels like you can do anything. You don't have to worry about the rules so much. And so they start to say this, and Paul doesn't even, it's interesting, Paul doesn't even disagree with them. He just says, you've got to get this under control. So he quotes them and says, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. He goes on in verse 13 and says this, you say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that your bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. So he says, I get it. You're right. You have the ability and the freedom to do a lot of different things. You have way more freedom than you had when you had to hold to all the Jewish laws. But he says, there's a massive difference in I can eat whatever I want, and I can just do with my body with whatever I want. And he says, when we're talking about food, and we'll get to more of this conversation in a little bit, when we're talking about food, we need food to survive. So, like, we have to just be able uh, to eat things. I've been watching the show Alone. Has anyone ever watched that show before? Okay, so I watch it, and Becca will watch it sometimes with me. And so we, I, I watch it. The whole thing is, if you've never watched it, they drop people off in these remote locations, and they survive. And it's not a set time. The last one to survive without tapping out wins. So you don't even know. It's not like, oh, I just have to live for like a month. It's like you could be out there for a hundred days. 
They give you water and they give you camera batteries because they want you to be able to film everything so they can make a TV show out of it. But the thing they have to find is food. That's the thing that is that they've got to, they don't give them any snacks, nothing. Like they've got to learn to hunt or fish or do it or whatever. So they've got to find food and they've got to have that. And they've got, the people that tap out the quickest are the people that don't have a food source because they either just can't do it or they, they break mentally because they, they have not been successful. And so we know that this is obvious, right? We need food in order to survive. So what Paul is saying is when you have to feed yourself because you just need it in order to keep going physically, yes, you can eat whatever you want. But that doesn't give us the right to just do with our bodies with whatever we want. And he talks about this idea of sexual immorality because some of the Christians in Corinth were using prostitutes. So they come to church on Sunday, and then Monday they're going to prostitute. Like, Paul's like, this does not work, right? God does care about our bodies, there are certain things where you can just eat whatever you want, but you can't just do whatever you want because he says God cares about our bodies and our bodies were made for the Lord. And then verse 14 says, and God will raise us from the dead by his power just as he raised our Lord from the dead. So, so here's where I want us to get to first, okay? We have freedom and we're gonna talk about that a little more later, but we have to recognize something about this freedom. First of all, lots of things are on the table, but not everything is beneficial, we have the ability to chase after a lot of different things, right? We can say, this job is fine, this job is great, there's no right or wrong. You could say, I'm going to buy this house or that house, no right or wrong necessarily. You can say, I'm going to eat this or I'm going to eat that, not, not right or wrong necessarily. But we also know not everything is beneficial. Okay to eat one donut? Yes. Beneficial to eat six? Probably not, right? There's a line. So we've got to figure out, here's the other thing. Lots of things are on the table, but some things will enslave us. That's one of the lines that Paul draws. That, that some things that come along, some things we would have the freedom to engage with, could become a vice for us. And so he says, you, you've got to pay really close attention to that. You've got to make sure, yes, everything is available to you and you can do anything, but we've got to make sure we're not becoming slaves again. And one of the things we would look at maybe for people is like when they, if they get out of prison or they make this transition or whatever, and then they end up back in, one of the questions we ask is why? Why would you make that decision? Why would you make that? Why would you go back to that place? The same conversation is true of us. When we are free from sin, why would we go back to something that would enslave us? And so Paul, Paul draws this line very clearly. I want to fast forward a little bit in 1 Corinthians to chapter 10. So we're just going forward a few chapters. But he comes back to this idea. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verses 23 and 24, it says this. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. He comes back to this quote, right? But he says, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. There's a massive change there. That's a big transition. He goes, yeah, you, you can do and have freedom to do a lot of things. But then he comes in with this sentence and says, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Yeah, but hang out, hang on. Time out, Paul. I'm an adult now. I get to choose what's right. You're saying I have freedom. I can do the things I want. But now you're saying I got to worry about other people. Yes, he is. So let's keep going. Verses 25 and 26. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay, what's he talking about here? Back in these times, right, 
they would sacrifice animals, that they, just like the Jews would. They would sacrifice animals to God when they were under that law. Other religions of the time would do the same thing. So you could be down the street, somebody sacrificing something to Zeus, okay? It would just happen. And so in under the law, they were not allowed to eat that meat because it was sacrificed to another god. But then when they get on this side of Jesus, it doesn't matter anymore because we understand and know, just like today, if someone said, I sacrificed this cheeseburger to Zeus, you'd go, okay. Like, it doesn't matter because it doesn't exist, right? There is, you can sacrifice something to whatever you want. If it's not God, it doesn't exist. So it doesn't influence me because you're making up something. And so Paul says, you don't have to worry about that rule anymore Anything and every, like it doesn't matter if it's sacrificed somebody, it's sold in the marketplace, whatever, you can eat it. But then he gives this example in verses 27 to 28. It says, if someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. But suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you? I'll come back to that because we'll dig in there. Verses 29 to 30, it says, It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? Now, this is where the friction is going to happen, okay? Because I'll just be honest, I don't like this. I want to say, if you've got a problem with what I'm doing, but I don't, tough, you get over it. That's what I want to say. That's kind of what Paul says, too. Like, he recognizes it. He says, I get it. Like, why should it, my freedom be limited? Why, why should, but at the same time, he says, in this situation, you can eat whatever you want. But if someone comes along and says, I've got a problem with that, maybe you shouldn't eat it. He says, you shouldn't eat it either. Now, this is a challenge. Because now my freedom, quote unquote, is now subject to what someone else is doing or believes or thinks. And I have to bend to them instead of pursuing the freedom that I've been told I have in Christ. There's the tension. And Paul gives us this example. Now, this isn't that far off. And I, and I think there are times where we would do this and it would be kind of simple, okay? Just imagine you're going to a party this summer and there's alcohol at the party and you don't, you don't have a problem going over having a beer or whatever, and that's fine. But let's just say you brought a friend who's a recovering alcoholic. You might, in that instance, think about the fact that you brought a friend or you're sitting with a friend or whatever and they shouldn't be drinking, so you're going to say, you know what, today, not going to have it. Just not going to worry about it, just going to drink my water or soda or my iced tea with my friend and not have to worry about that today, right? Many of us, I think, would say, yeah, I'll I'll do that for my friend. Like, I'm good there. And that's what Paul's asking us to do. He's saying we evaluate what's going on and what decisions we're going to make based on what the other person is having in their conscience as well. But when we hear that, I think especially as Americans, we go, I don't want someone else's thoughts to have a bearing on what I process or what I choose. And then Paul goes into this very famous verse that many of us have heard in in 1031. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And then he says this in verse 32, don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. And he's, he says this, and there's another verse that says, live at peace with all people. That's what Paul's saying. 
He's saying our job is to think about what's going on, not just in our own conscience, but the conscience of others, and to not be a stumbling block or to not be, like have a problem with somebody else's conscience, not cause them to sin because they're frustrated or it's out of their conscience to do what you're doing, and to live at peace with all people. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. And then he goes into this next verse, which is kind of crazy when you read it, but I think we can get there. Verse 33, it says, I too try to please everyone in everything I do. And right there, everybody wants to go, yeah, but you're not supposed to be just a people pleaser all the time, right? You're supposed to be healthy. And, and Paul's not saying you don't need to have healthy boundaries or you don't need to process that. But what he is saying is my goal when I'm ministering to people, I am in public, I am amongst other people that I don't know what their convictions are and I don't know what's going on in their heart and mind. I'm going to try and not be the person that they have a problem with. He's not talking about what I do at my house, Right? He's not talking about what goes on in private or what goes on with a certain group of friends that I know can handle it, whatever. And then he goes on and says, I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. Self-control, when we talk about it and we say, here's what's right, here's what's wrong. I just have to stay on the right side of that. And then thinking about this idea, I do what's best. I don't just do what's best for me. I do what's best for everybody. That's a much more, much different conversation. I was actually listening to a couple of pastors um, this past week, and they were having a very long conversation about very, it's a theological issue you don't want me to get into. But the idea was there's one pastor on one side that was very more rules-based, okay? And he would go back to even some of the rules in the Old Testament and say, maybe we should hold on to those things. And the other pastor on the other side was kind of like, I don't understand why you're holding on so tightly to the rules of the Old Testament. And at one point, the, the pastor who was like, why are you holding on to these laws, said, wouldn't it be easier just to follow all of the laws instead of trying to figure out which ones are which and which ones we have to hold and which ones we don't? Because the guy on the first side was kind of like picking and choosing. I think we should hold on to this, but this isn't and this whatever. And, and my point is like, it would be easier kind of to just have all of our laws written out for us. Like, you wouldn't have to make the decision then. You'd be able to just say, okay, if I can't eat this, I can't eat this. Done. Like, it might frustrate you sometimes, but then everybody would be in the same space. But then Jesus comes in and takes care of everything, and now all of a sudden it's a question of what is best for you, and not just you, but everybody else. Now things just got a lot more complicated. And we have to figure out, in this sense of self-control, what do I do? How do I figure out what's supposed to be done? What am I allowed to do? What am I allowed to do? And not allowed to do. And Paul's saying it's not about allowed anymore. It's about what's best. So here's the other thing I want us to know. One of the things I want us to know. Self-control means not just recognizing the consequences for me, but for others as well. We get this as a part of a family, right? You, I make a decision. You make a decision. That decision has ripple effects to other people. We get this in a company. I make a decision. It has ripple effects to other people. I show up late. It has ripple effects to other people. Like we, we have to start to realize and really process self-control, thinking about not just our conscience or consequences, but what happens to other people. And, and again, I'm going to say it. Like sometimes we just want to go, and I just want to say, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what your conscience says. I don't want your conscience to have a bearing on what my freedom is. That's what I want to say. Here's the problem. It's not in Scripture. We're supposed to think about the other person. And, and just because I have the freedom to do something doesn't mean it's right for me to pursue it. So here's the lie for us one more time, okay? I'll say it again, right? If it comes naturally to me, it must be beneficial to me. 
we know that that's not always true. And here's the truth. Choose what is best, not what is easiest. Sometimes we have to say that to ourselves. Choose what's best, not what's easiest. Why? Because if we always choose what's easiest, we never learn anything. If we always choose what's easiest, we never get stronger. If we always choose what's easiest, we're not going to move forward in life. We have to figure out what's best and then chase that instead of chasing what's easiest. But here's the thing that I think happens in our culture. And this is not just like a, uh, our culture outside of the church or outside of Christianity. Like, I think this is a thought process and an idea that really gets into churches as well. And here's, here's the idea. We will elevate the moments of freedom from responsibility and celebrate our natural desires. So, so think about everyone's attitude towards the weekend, right? If you work a regular Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, whatever, like, you think about it, you're like, just get me to Friday. Just get me to Friday at 4.01, right? And then I can get out of here. And then what? I don't have to worry about work tomorrow, hopefully, or I don't have to worry about on Sunday, or I don't have to worry about waking up as early, or I don't have to worry about the responsibilities. Hopefully, you don't have to worry about the boss calling you, something like that. Like, I am now free from the responsibilities. And what does that mean? That means I can engage more in my freedom, so I can chase certain things, and I can do certain things, and I don't have to worry about the consequences as much. And when I get to vacation, I don't have to worry about consequences as much. I've seen this happen for Christians. And we start to say, my weekends and my vacations, I have a different morality than I do during the week. Because now all of a sudden I have this moment where the consequences don't matter. The silly way of saying this is like, oh, when you're on vacation, the calories don't count, right? Eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want, because, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. Well, that's, we all know that's not true. But we think that. And we elevate these moments where we get to go, I don't have to have self-control anymore. And the reality is we do. We can't just open up this space where we just go, God doesn't exist on my weekend and my vacation, or he doesn't have as much bearing on my life in these spaces. Here's the thing. We don't get a vacation from following Jesus. We get to go on vacation as a follower of Jesus, but we don't get a vacation from it. And sometimes that's what we want to do. That's what we draw ourselves into, and we go, today, it just doesn't count. But what did Paul say? In verse 33 again, I, too, try to please everyone, please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others. Why? So that many may be saved. Yes, the way that we exist on the weekend and on our vacation should be impacted by who would come to know Jesus because of us or who is going to get an, a reflection of Jesus because of how they interact with us. This is hard, right? Like, I don't, this is not the like, like, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. This is like, man, like, I just want to live life, right? I just want to do what I want to do. I just want to lean into the things that become natural to me, and I want to chase that thing, and I want those spaces where I can kind of go, consequences don't matter today, don't care, going to make the decision I wouldn't normally make because over here it's fine. Like, I want to do that. And yet Paul is saying, think about others before you think about yourself but I don't want to today, <laughs> right? But we're supposed to. So, so here's three things I want us to understand about this idea of self-control and how we get it, okay? Here's the first thing. Freedom can be a trap. 
It is, it is very true, and we're going to get to this verse. It is very true that we have freedom in Christ, okay? We do. And we have the ability to chase whatever career we want, and we have the ability to chase whatever hobby we want, and we have the ability to chase whatever relationship we want. But here's what I also know. If we went around the room or we sat in small groups and we had started to have conversations about decisions we made when we had a new amount of freedom, we would probably all have stories about how we wish we had understood the consequences that were going to come with some of those decisions. Whether it was you were driving for some of the first times and you made a mistake as you were driving, or you went to college and you went to a party and you made a mistake while you were at the party, or you you started to have the ability to date different people and you got into a relationship you shouldn't have been in. And we would all look back and go, I wish I had recognize the responsibility that came with my freedom and I hadn't walked down that path. And yet sometimes we still go, I've got freedom. I just want to chase that path and consequences. Let's just figure those out later. Freedom can be a trap if we're not careful. And freedom will put us in a place where we may not be ready. We get this in other aspects of life. We don't give little children freedom to the deep end of the pool regularly, right? We don't just go, go play in the pool, right? Why? Because there's danger there. We have to recognize in our freedom, there's danger there. We have to see those guardrails and say, what are the good things I'm going to think about? What, how am I going to process this? How am I going to make sure that I don't fall into a trap just because I've been given freedom? Here's the second thing. If anything enslaves us, it is not good for us. Paul says this very clearly. He goes, yep, you can say I can do anything, but if anything enslaves us, it's a problem. This is the line of like, where is it wrong? And if it's not, there are things that are not wrong, not said as to be wrong in scripture. But if it will enslave you, that's a problem. And here's the hard part. We can look at other people and go, well, it didn't enslave them, so I guess I can do it. Nope, that's not the, that's not the answer. Because they might have a different proclivity towards that thing than you. I remember I had a friend uh, years ago who was going through uh, a men's program, and, and it was just a group for guys, and there was a bunch of guys involved in it. And um, one of the things that we would process as a part of that group was, are there things that are enslaving you? Are there things that have a hold on your life that should not? And one of the things that's true for guys, right, is we just, we, we work hard, we have a lot of things going on, so there are times we just want to disconnect and disengage, so we sit down and we watch a ball game, or we go to a game, or we, we, we do something else, right, we just tr- want to disengage, we get on our phone, whatever it is. And for this guy, he said his problem was video games. And he had a wife and kids, and he said he would come from for work, and he had a rough job, he worked at a steel mill. Okay, so it wasn't like this guy's just sitting around all day. Like he had a rough job and he just wanted to come home and he wanted to relax. But he would come home and he would go to the game system and he would ignore his wife and kids. This is him saying this, not me. And so as a part of this program, he just sold his stuff. He said, I need to get rid of that system. I need to get rid of those games because they've got a hold on me that they shouldn't have and it's not healthy for me. Other people, I have a game system at home. I have a game system. I, I'm not selling it tomorrow, right? It's just there. Like, Owen plays it. We have fun. It's great. But, like, I can handle it. He couldn't. It's a video game. Nothing right or wrong with it. But he said, this is pro-. So, so we, ask, we have to think through this. If it enslaves us, it's not good. And at times, we think to the worst thing. We go, oh, yeah, I'm not going to try drugs because that will enslave me. You want to know something we all kind of get stuck to? This. I drink coffee every morning. 
lot of us drink coffee every morning, or you have a soda, or you have whatever, right? Anything in life that we go, I can't exist until I have blank, might be in this category. Which is might. Mark's mad at me. He's leaving because I said it coffee. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. It can enslave us. It's not a bad thing. I like coffee. You like coffee. It's great. But if it's enslaving me, it's a problem, right? That's what Paul says. If it enslaves us, it's not good for us. It has to go. Here's the third thing. Self-control that only considers me is just selfishness. I can say, I look at the Bible, I don't break the rules, leave me alone, I'm going to do whatever I want. It's selfish. Because what Paul says is, I've got to evaluate what this means for other people as well. So we can be selfish in what we understand as self-control. Because we're not thinking of the ramifications for other people and what might happen if I pursue this freedom, even though... Jesus gives me the freedom to do it. Okay, now here's this verse that I said we were going to come back to where it says it. Now here's the really interesting thing. It's Galatians 5.13. It's nine verses before the fruit of the Spirit. So Paul says this in Galatians 5.13. For you have been called to live in freedom. Great. That sounds awesome, Paul. Thank you, my brothers and sisters. But he says this. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to what? To serve one another in love. Who benefits from our freedom? Other people do. And then he goes on and says, here's all the fruits. Here's another way of saying this. Paul says, you're called to live in freedom. Let me help that. And then here's how free people live. They have love. They have joy. They have peace. They have patience. They have kindness. They have goodness. They have gentleness. And they have self-control. That's how free people live. That's what it's supposed to look like when we live in freedom, is we have the fruits of the Spirit, not to satisfy our sinful nature, not to say I can do whatever I want because Christ has made me free, not to say that I can chase something that I shouldn't be just because I can't. I, it, the Bible doesn't say I shouldn't. It says it so that why? So that we can serve one another in love, that I would use my freedom to benefit other people. That's what this means. It's a lot different than what we teach our two-year-old about self-control, isn't it? It's a lot deeper than that. It's not just about right and wrong. It's about how I process this for other people. And here's what I want us to get about this idea of freedom. Freedom is only as good as what you do with it. We can have freedom to do a lot of different things. We can also use our freedom to do a lot of really bad things. It's only as good as what we do with it. And when we take the freedom that Jesus has given us, and we say, I'm going to use it to benefit other people. I'm going to use it to draw more people to Jesus. I'm going to use it to chase after the things that matter, not just to justify however I want to live my life. When that's the truth, then we'll see really good things happen with our freedom. But when our freedom is focused on us, when our self-control is just focused on what we want, it's just simply selfishness. So where do we go with this? How, how, How do I figure out, okay, this is something I can chase after or this is something I shouldn't chase after? How, how do I process that and how do I make that make sense? And what Paul says is, he says, choose what's best. He says, I don't do what's just best for me. I do what's best for other people. That's my goal. So, so the idea is we're not just looking for what's right and what's wrong. We're looking for what's best. That's the question. What is best? Not right and wrong, best. So here's the question we can ask ourselves or we can process as we think about this. The best things in life benefit me, my family, and my relationship with God. 
the best things in life, or, or if you want to change out family there, like if you're a single adult, you might say my friends or my coworkers or my, like that word there is interchangeable. I just used family to start, okay? So the best things in life benefit me, my family, and my relationship with God. So let's just play this out a little bit, okay? Let's say you get offered a new job. You have freedom to take that job in Christ? Yes, you do, right? There is nothing saying that that job is bad and the job you have is good or anything like that. But here's the questions you've got to ask. Does it benefit me? Okay, so I got to think that through. Does it benefit me? Maybe you get paid more. Maybe you have a little bit more freedom at work. Like whatever. Okay, good. It benefits me. Does it benefit my family? Okay, so pay, I get paid more, so that may benefit my family, but I have to travel more. Okay, so then I got to figure out, does that benefit me and my family? Does it benefit my family? Got to have that conversation with my spouse if you have one. But then I've got to ask, does it benefit my relationship with God? Is this job going to help or hurt my spiritual practices? I got to ask that question. And if this job is going to put me in a place where I think my relationship with God is going to suffer, probably not the best thing to do. Do I buy a new house or not? Same process. Do I send my kids to public school or private school? Same process. What do I drink at a party? Same process. The best things in life will benefit me, my family, and my relationship with God. And if any one of those things is off or we go, it doesn't benefit one of those three categories, it's probably not the best decision to make. And our goal as followers of Jesus is to have the self-control to say when the first thing is true, I can go, this will benefit me, but everything else is out the window. We have to have the self-control to say if it just benefits me and it doesn't benefit other people and it doesn't benefit my relationship with God, then I have to say no. I have to say no. Because it's not just about can I or can't I. It's about what's best. And we all, like, like when I say, when we dig into this, we're going, this is a hard process. Like, I, this is a difficult, but we would all say, should we choose what's best in our life? Like, do we really want to choose what's best in our lives? And we would say, yes. Like, if I made every decision for what was best in all three of these locations, where would you be? Is it going to lead you to a good place or a bad place? We would all say, it's going to lead me in a good direction. Like, if this is the process I do, whenever I make a decision, this is going to put me in a really good space. And yet, there's a part of us, because we all grew up as the two-year-old who didn't have to learn how to hit people, that wants to go, but I just want to be selfish. I want to hold on to what I want to do. And I don't want to process this through other people. I don't want to process this through God. I want to do what I want to do. And Paul says, that's a problem. We have to think about other people. We have to think about God and our relationship with God. And we have to understand and learn how to choose what's best, not just what's right and wrong. So my guess is at somewhere in the room or watching online, right, there's a decision that's being made. And you don't know what to do. Or you're just like, there's good thing, you know, like I'm in the middle. I got to figure this out. What am I going to do? Run through this process. What's best? Figure it out. Because we do have the freedom. But we also are called to do what's best. Here's the last question I would ask us as we process this today and we wrap up our time. What freedoms need to be dialed back in your life? Again, room this size, there's probably things that we would look at and we would say, I'm taking advantage of this freedom right now. But as I think about that, it's not best for my family. It's not best for my relationship with God. It's just best for me.
So that probably means I've got to at least dial it back, if not get rid of that thing completely. And this could be a hobby. It could be uh, a job. It could be something you're interacting with. It could be a relationship you have, a friendship you have, whatever. I have to dial this back. It has to change because it's either not the best for my family and my relationship with God or it has enslaved me. And I can't go through my day without X, or I can't get through the day without Y, or I have to drive into this thing, and I drive other people away when I do, and I have to understand this. It's not what's best. So what is it? And here's what I know is true, okay? <laughs> I just, we said earlier, what's the soundtrack? Do what's best, not what's easiest, okay? Here's what's easiest. You wait 10 minutes for me to be done talking and you walk out of this room and you go, I don't feel the tension of this anymore because Pastor Corey's not looking at me as he's talking to me. And so now I can just forget what he said, right? I've done that. You feel something, you're like, ah, I should get rid of that thing or I should do something differently. And then you walk out of church, you walk out of the conference, it's like, that thing doesn't feel so bad when I'm not reading the Bible about it. And we forget. So write it down. Text somebody. Say something. Set an alarm on your phone, okay? Make a plan to make a change. Because if we don't make a plan to make a change, it doesn't happen. Don't just let it go. It's easy for us to chase after what we want and to be in a space where we just want to say, I have the freedom, it's not a big deal, leave me alone. But if we understand and want to choose what's best, and we know that that's the best path for us. We have to make that decision and put it into practice. Self-control is not just about what's right and wrong. It's about what ch- choosing what is best. Would you pray with me? Jesus, this, this tension is difficult. And I can imagine when the believers in Corinth heard this and started to process it and they're looking at the world around them and just saying we have access to all these things we can do whatever we want we don't have to worry about this let us just be free from all these rules and chase after Jesus and then Paul comes in and says yeah you can do what you want but we've got to understand what that means and and we have largely the same thing we have the world at our fingertips we can do whatever we want we can build the relationships we can chase certain things we can whatever, but God, I pray that you give us the wisdom to choose what's best. I pray that this idea of self-control wouldn't just be something we think just kids do, or we just have to choose what's right and wrong, but that we would honestly and truly look at the decisions we're making in our lives, and we would choose what is best, because we know that's what we're called to do. And even in moments where we have to consider someone else's conscience above our own, that we would be honest, and we would say, I need to just dial this back for a minute. And God, I pray for anybody that's got something that's got a hold on them. Whether it's an addiction or it's just a a bad habit. I pray that you give us the strength to make a plan to get rid of that thing. And to say, I'm not just going to let it keep having a hold on me. I'm going to get it in check and I'm going to dial it back. I pray that whatever the decisions are in the room, processing, thinking about what that means you would give us the strength to make that change so that we can truly have this gift of self-control from your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.